All right, we are live. Welcome to another episode of Spilling Ink, where the talk show that takes you behind the book to meet the authors and professionals in the publishing industry. And of course, our show is brought to you by the wonderful people at Creative Edge Publicity. Creative Edge is your brand, your future, and they are the advocates of collaboration and believers in partnership in the ever-changing literary industry. At the end of the show, check our notes and you'll get the link to Creative Edge if you're interested in promoting any of your work. So, hey guys, it's another week. How are we doing? We're Pretty here. Warm. We're surviving. <laughs> I'm still in New Hampshire. <laughs> I'm jealous of that view. I, I want to be there. You have to come stay. <laughs> come out, come out to the East Coast in the fall. Oh, it'll be breathtaking. Oh my God, don't tempt me because I would. I absolutely love the East Coast. We have a bedroom. We have two. <laughs> I come with a package, though. I've got three kids that I'd be bringing with me. Okay. <laughs> and she still okay. They would probably be just fine running around out there, too, I would imagine. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be so much fun. It would. Oh, look at yeah. that. Our regulars are showing up. Yeah, the only view I could offer is the Douglas County Sheriff's Department building. That's <laughs> That just yeah. doesn't quite cut it. I kind of like this behind me. I'm like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, admit it. You do it to make us jealous, because none of our views are that pretty. Well, yeah. And oh, look, look at, when I'm in Maine, I can't really show you the Maine view, the you know the ocean because it's too dark. Oh, <laughs> ocean. Yeah, we want to go into that gorgeous view. Yep. <laughs> so this is a good segue right here. Lynn says she loves the pictures behind Richard's desk. So Richard, introduce yourself to us to our audience and tell us about these pictures behind. Well, this is my my shameless self-promotion. I love me wall, which is it's basically the book covers for my books. And I, you know, what? I'm just going to get out of the way. There you <laughs> go. Um, so so basically what that is, is um, if I go to a show or I'm going to do an appearance, I can pull these off the wall and take them with me and then bring them home and put them back up on the wall so they're out of the way. Uh, but it's just basically my book covers. Um, I've been writing in one form or another since 1983. And uh, about, well, roughly about seven years ago, I decided to retire from being a newspaper writer and get back into writing fiction. And most of what you see behind me is the, uh, the end result of all that. And there's some more up there. Um, of the last, you know, last six or seven years of, of working at it. Um, and it's, it's been fun. Uh, there's, it's been an interesting journey. I don't think I had, could have foreseen how things have played out over the last few years, but it, it's been really fun to, to do this. And, and I get to do shows like this and meet new authors and, and, and we're looking at the comments live here. So, uh, I get to meet new people and that's always good. It's kind of like battle of the prolific authors here because between you, Jane, and you, Richard, I'm sure both of you guys have probably what hundred plus books. Uh, probably, well, I have fifty some. Oh, she's got me beat. Um, I, I've got, I've got nine books, and I've been in about a dozen anthologies over okay. the last over the last five six years. So okay. now, do you so, yeah. publish traditionally, or are you indie published or hybrid? Um, I probably fall in the hybrid uh, category. I started off traditional back in 2014 because I wanted to get an agent and get a publisher and, and walk into Barnes and Noble and see my book on the shelf. And I did all that with reservations. 
and the Del Rio series. But then about 2017, I met some authors who were indie and kind of with the experiences I had with traditional, I wanted more control over what was going to happen with my, with my books. Um, for example, with reservations, I had to rewrite certain sections of it to get it published because the publisher said, you will change this and you will change that or we will not publish. So when you're a first time author and this is your first book out there, you don't get to pull the JK Rowling and say, ah, uh -uh, nope, you're going to, I 24 character lettering here, right? You said you shut up and you make the changes, even if you don't like them. And I didn't. So I, I kind of got the, the idea that if I want more control over it, um, indie was the way to do it. And I don't regret doing it because I've been able to, to learn some skills. I do some of the cover. Most of the covers behind me um, were done by me. Uh, so it's another skill set I've learned. I've gotten into publishing you know, Tuscany Bay books with Jim Christina, who, by the way, Jim, if you're watching, get better. He was supposed to be here tonight, but a little under the weather. So um, we, he and I got together uh, about 2018 and uh, formed our two publishing uh, imprints together into one. And uh, we have we've been publishing some some other authors as well. And that's been something that would never have happened if I hadn't gone indie. So I, I kind of keep my toe in with the anthologies. I, I publish short stories with smaller publishing houses. So that's more of the traditional. But with my own novels, I kind of want to keep it indie and, and keep that control. I like that. Hybrid yeah. seems to be the way that a lot of authors are going mm -hmm. because they, they do, like you said, they want to have the control, but they also want to have the reach too. So a mm -hmm. foot inside helps with, with all of it, actually. And, and plus the other thing is, is you get to keep more of the money on the book sales when you're when you're indie you know you, you i don't think people realize you, the book that sells for say we're talking the ebook for five bucks as an author you're probably after amazon takes its cut the publisher takes his cut you got to pay your agent off you're probably looking at maybe getting 30 cents a book if if that if you if you indie that five bucks, you got to you know, shovel a buck and a half off to Amazon, but the other three fifty is yours. That's a good so that's, that's you know that's a big chunk of change. Now, having said that, that means you've got to go out and do the book covers or buy a book cover. You've got to pay for the ed editor, and and please get your book edited professionally by an editor before, because I've seen people. I'll do indie, and I'll just write it and throw it out. And no, you shouldn't have. No, uh, yep. So yeah, there's more outgo, but you have more control over the process and how it's going to turn out. And, and again, you get more of the reward. Now you also have to work your butt off a little bit more to market it. But mm -hmm. that's, you know, if, if you can do that, I suggest to every writer, if you can, can find that extra gear, do indie for a while and, and keep your toe in, do it traditional if you want, but try indie, you might like it a lot better because you, you've got a lot more things that you can do as an indie writer than you could as a traditional. That's, that's you a still under, under the traditional umbrella, still have to do a, a, a lion's share of marketing though. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, I can just have it traditionally published and they'll do all the work. Oh, no, no, no. I think that's the misconception, you know, that, you know, it, Indie, it's a little bit more because you don't have the powerhouses of the mm -hmm. 
publishing, you know, folks behind you, but you still have to do a ton of work unless you're yeah. Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, you even see James Patterson still out there doing ads, you yeah. know. Um, I, I tell this story. There was a show I went to, and I'm not going to name the name of the author or the publisher, but it's a it was a pretty good, well-known author, and he had this big display for his book that was coming out, published by one of the larger publishers. And I'm like, man, they they went all out here because I'm looking at banners and cards and you know the whole the whole thing. And he goes, no, this is all me. This is all out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. And he's traditional only. Mm-hmm. So you know, as a tr- even if you go full traditional, you're still going to be doing a lot of the work anyway. So why not get paid for all that work instead of you know giving up the extra three bucks for for what? Well, some people are afraid of technology. <laughs> that is true. It's, it's, you know, it, it's not easy. And I made my blunders along the way. But you learn each time you get a little bit better. And um, you know, the, the cover behind, over there, over there. I, I'm looking backwards here, so I'm a little crossed up. Maelstrom up here, that's the second cover. The first cover I thought looked really good until I got better at it. I'm looking at it going, no, this, no, no, this got to go. Yeah. And so I did the cover for it. So, you know, you, it's a learning process as you go. Um, and and I enjoyed, I have enjoyed every step of it. And I'm, I only think I'm going to get better as I go. So yeah. for, for me, this has been great. One thing authors should consider, though, is um, before they, they dive straight into going full indie, they should have a budget in mind. Mm-hmm. Because just like we talk about, you get bigger royalties, that's because you're footing all of the bills. So if you can't create a cover, what's your budget for a cover going to be? Yeah. If you don't have an editor in your pocket, how much is editing going to be? If you can't lay out a book yourself, how much is book layout going to be? And factor in all of these things that you're going to have to spend ahead of time and make sure you can afford to produce the book. Because like you just said, you know, sending out a book that's unedited, that's not a good thing. That's not going to do your book any favors. So if you don't cover that editing cost and you throw your book out, that's going to look negatively on you. And you can find editors at, at, you know, affordable, very affordable. Yeah. Or you can go the full range and get the, the, big multi, you know, I shouldn't say multi-million, the, the, the more expensive ones. Yeah. Um, I, I am fortunate that I have found a editor who does not charge me too much than I can afford. Uh, and she, she is great. Um, the book, the book covers I've kind of learned to do because that, that was something I did in newspapers. You had to do some of the graphics for the for the paper. And I was fortunate that during that time, I learned how to Photoshop. Um, but you can find like the, the Timeless series that's up there. I could not quite get the concept I wanted. So I went and I found a cover artist who did all six books for me. Uh, all six covers were about 150 total. Wow. Wow. So you can find people who are out there who can do a very good job and they're not going to blow your budget up. Um, now, on you know, don't go too cheap because you're going to get what you pay for. Right. But, but look around. And and the other thing is the what is great about indie published authors. We love to help other authors become indie. So, you know, find find indie people who are in the, the areas that you'd like to write in and go talk to them. We will we will talk our heads off about going indie and giving you tips. 
um, you know, helping you out any way we can. Uh, that's kind of the thing we're doing with Tuscany Bay Books is where, yeah, we're, we're signing people and we're publishing their books, but we're also showing them how to do this if right. they want to go on their own and do it. And, and our, our first book, not, not that didn't have Jim or I's name on it, was Dr. Bruce uh, Solheim. And he did a paranormal nonfiction. That was his first book. His second book he's done on his own. Mm-hmm. And and we're perfectly fine with doing that. We we like to see that. We'd like to see these authors, you know, take that step and become indie. You you'll get nothing but cheering from me if you do. And and that seems to be the the way it is with all indies because once we learn something, we want to share that knowledge of how to do it, how to do it yeah. better the next time. So uh, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a question. We, yeah, we do have a question. I was waiting for a gap for us to show it. And speaking oh, of, no, I, I was I was looking at it because it yeah. kind of. From our buddy that go indie now, Joe asks, question for Richard. How many query letters did you send before you actually got the agent that you had? And over what period of time did that take for you? There's okay. a good question for you. Oh, this is taking me down memory lane. This could get <laughs> ugly. Um, <laughs> let's see. I wrote the book. I got the book finished. And that's the other thing I will say. Before you start, if you're going to go traditional, before you start querying a, an agent, get that book finished, get it edited, and make sure it is so polished that you can see it from the space station. Because there are so many coming into the agents, you have to be able to get past that two pages in. Oh, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Okay. So in my case, I got the, I started writing reservations 2013 went through the editing, got it done, got it to where I felt it was ready, started querying, I think, early 2014. So it took about a year of querying 184 query letters before I got an agent who said, not only I'd like to see more, but yeah, I want to rep you. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was another year before we got a publisher who finally, you know, we had several publishers like, yeah, this is pretty good. We might want to take this on you know, the, never hear from him again. Uh, so we, it took another year. It was 20, it was about two years from starting to query to actually having the book in my hand. But it took about a year of that to get the agent. That sounds and, about and right. Side, oops, and a side tip, make sure you know what a real query letter is. Yes. Not an introduction of yourself. <laughs> we we can, a story. We got one at Tuscany Bay because I, I see most of the, the queries come in from email. So they come to me for the most part. Yes. And we, we got one and I felt so bad because the guy starts with, I wrote this book and it's, it's okay. And I'm like, dude, if it's just okay, why are you bothering? <laughs> Why are you sending it to me? You know, this had better be a book that I open that cover and I look at the first page and I'm like, wow, this is great. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not, yeah, it's okay. So, yeah, don't you, you, you have to sell yourself, but you also have to sell yourself and your book. And, and it's okay. It's not going to do it if you're going to do traditional. So, so be a little bit more upbeat about your book um but yeah there's there's examples of query letters out there that people should go and and read and copy if you know and use um it it, it's little because it's the littlest things that could 
mean the difference between them looking at the manuscript and not even looking at the manuscript? Or bringing your letter into the next office and just laughing. <laughs> I'm sure they did that with mine. <laughs> but, but back in 2007, there weren't all as many online resources. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. You know, I, I did a business letter, not a, not a query letter. Yeah, I saw one that guy, it wasn't sent to me, but he was like, hey, what, you know, what, how's it going? It's like, this yep. is a business letter, guys. But yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a quick process. I mean, yes, there are examples of people sending out on their first query and getting a yes and getting signed. Yes, that happens. The odds on that happening, yeah, the yeah. odds on that happening are probably astronomical, but it happens. But it is a long process to, mm -hmm. to go the traditional route. Now, talk about the rejections. You said about a year's worth of, of waiting to, to get that yes. How did you deal with that? I, I had the advantage of back in 1983 when I first started, I was a freelance writer. So you're, you're you know, pitching ideas and they're like, no, 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 it's okay. The first rejection letter I got for fiction uh, was, I think, late 83, early 84. And the editor was harsh. I mean, I would never write a query letter the way this thing was done. Um, it basically said that I had committed a grave offense against the English language with this story. <laughs> and I should return to my job flipping hamburgers at the local oh. burger shack, right? So this, this is 20-year-old me got mad. Yeah. We'll G-rate this here a little bit. Now, some writers will quit. Some writers will get something like that and it snaps them in half. Yeah. I got mad and I went, oh, really? Let me show you. And I put that letter up above my typewriters back in the dinosaur days. Yeah. Typewriter people, no computers. I had I that <laughs> on my corkboard above the desk, that letter every day. First thing, read it. Second thing, start writing. So I use that as a motivation mm -hmm. to to get better uh, and to do better and to succeed. And so, you know, after nearly 40 years of writing and getting paid for this and making a living at it, I think I've kind of made my point. You know, he was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but you now, you know, I still get rejection letters now. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's you cannot. I don't know of any writer who can say they've gotten acceptance 100% of the time. Uh, it's part, It's just part of the process. Sometimes the story just doesn't meet what they were looking for. Um, there are 7 billion people on this planet. Not everybody is going to like everything. So there, you've, it's a process of finding the market, the person who sees value in what you've written and they want to publish it. And that's that's what you keep in mind is, yeah, they said no, but somewhere out there, there's a yes. I just got to go find it. Mm -hmm. And that's what you do. You don't let those rejection letters just crush you. Um, and I, I've, I've seen it, you know, in talking with other writers. Uh, I'm on Twitter and I follow a bunch of writers. And there was this one writer who was just completely heartbroken and, and ready to quit. And that will, that will irritate me. I, I don't like seeing writers give up because we need to we need to have more voices out there. We need to have more stories out there. We need to hear them and we don't need them silenced, especially because somebody might have been having a bad day or 
you know, they just didn't, it just wasn't the right market to sub to. So that's the one thing I tell everybody. Don't quit just because you got one no. There's yeses out there. Just go find them. The same applies too for, let's say, indie publishers when they publish their book and you see a bad review. Mm -hmm. And that can sometimes be just as soul crushing when you see that somebody did not like your work and, and yeah. some reviews are worse than others. But I, I've seen reviews where they literally go after an author, like a personal, you know, uh, personally injured them by reading the book. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's it's an opinion. It's not the opinion yeah. of everyone. But, you know, sometimes it can really damage your psyche, make you want to quit. The, yeah. The, the thing I tell the authors I talk to, because, you know, I got a two star, I got a one star. It's like, look at it. Don't dwell on it, but look at it and see what they're saying. Is there a legitimate critique in there somewhere? Is there something you did wrong? I got a one star because I had a sailor saluting the captain on a submarine. You th you'd have thought I I was out there killing innocent children by having this little salute by this by this review, right? So yeah, okay, that was a small thing that that I missed. To be honest with you, I never thought it was an issue. I didn't I didn't realize that. I'm never in the Navy. I didn't see anything that said you don't salute on a sub. So okay. So yeah, now next time I write about submarines, there will be no saluting in my book. So I've I've learned something from it. The the one stars and two stars that irritate me is when it's clearly someone who is reacting to something that happened outside of the book. And for example, I had some guy on Twitter got mad at me because of something I posted, went to one of my books and threw a one star at it. And, and clearly the review you can tell has nothing to do with the book. The guy never read the book. He couldn't have and said what he said in his review though. And then came back and bragged about it. Those kind of irritate me because, you know, come on, if you've read the book and you legitimately didn't like it, I'm fine with that. And I'm fine with you coming out and saying, hey, it just wasn't for me. That's fine. Right. You know, exactly. but, you know, make it be, be legitimate. So, you know, I tell writers, if it's something like that situation, ignore it. it it's who cares? Yeah, it drives down your your overall, you know, review ranking on Amazon or Goodreads. But if you keep at it, you're going to have enough people come along and they're going to give you fours and fives and they cancel that guy out. But if you do get a bad one, you know, look and see what they're saying. Maybe there's a legitimate gripe there and maybe it's something that you go, OK, next time I do this and you got a better book the next right. time because you use that. So you, you can't. It, and it's easy for me to say now because I was just as bad back then. You know, I got a bad review. The first one's like, oh, come on. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Calm down. You know. It's, it's not the end of the world. You will live past this. Look at all these fours and fives you're getting. Look at all the, the reviews you're getting from, from actual book reviewers. You know, focus on the positive and, and don't let that negative stuff, you know, take you out. Yeah, you know, it's good to develop thick skin. Thankfully, I was in a writer's group that did critiques and I really had to, you know, have thick skin. <laughs> that because there were times that it was just like it felt de devastating but they absolutely had they came at it with the, you know the right thoughts and heart in mind they were trying to make me a better writer and they actually yeah. did you know after i stepped back and and said okay 
they have valid points. I can do this better. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's just like my publishing partner. He, I edited his stuff, and he said he used to get it, and he used to get very angry with me. <laughs> what was your nickname again? Bitch with a red pen. <laughs> <laughs> And, well, and you know, I back to my notes and go, damn it, she's right. Yeah. Well, you know, what what helped me was from about 91 to 2011, 2010, I was in the newspapers and you wrote yeah. every day. And, you know, eventually I rose up and I was an editor. So I was on both sides of the, I'm a writer. Here's my stuff. The editor's coming and he's doing this. And, you know, when you're young and first starting, you're like, hey, come on, that's fine. What are you doing? But if you're smart and you, you know, you grow up as you you go through this. Yeah. Uh, you you understand that the writer and the editor, if they work together, are going to create. You know, a, a good piece of work. So the editor isn't your mortal enemy that must be slain. You know, work with the editor if you if you learn to do that and and make it a collaboration instead of a confrontation. Right. At the end of the day, you're going to hear or have um, a much better uh, product. Dude. And so that's, that, that was a lesson I learned. So when I get into the books and I, I've worked with several different editors and they're, they're all like, well, you know, wow, we, we come at you with these changes and you like, you know, for the most part, I'll I, I usually agree. There's, there's one or two points where I might say, well, no, this is, this is what I was trying to do. You know, are you sure this doesn't change that? Um, I don't think I've dug in my heels for at least three years on something. So, uh, you know, they're like, wow, you're really easy to work with. It's like, because I understand you and I are trying to get to the same place. Right. And we're going to, if we do it together, it'll work. If we fight each other, it's not going to fly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to have that mindset of your, your okay. words are not written. They're not cast in 24 karat gold. So get right. over that. Right. Um, and and you know, you'll be fine if you work together. Kill your darlings. That also works too during the writing process. If you can find beta readers that that you can trust, mm -hmm. you know, Jane, you and I came up with the same system. We we had critiquing partners yeah. that we went to 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 get things fixed while you're in process, mm -hmm. and that's become now more reaching out to beta readers who are either genre readers other authors you trust, people who know story structure, know plot structure, know the genre, and they can give you feedback before it even goes to the editing phase of where you've got glaring plot holes, where your characters aren't doing what they're supposed to do or not matching up from previous chapters. And that's super duper helpful in, in creating a, a better story, but also in teaching you where the, the screw ups are happening. And the more you do it, the faster you see them. Yeah. Yeah, I have a I have a beta reader that I, I lean on heavily. Um, but I also had a story that I was writing for the first time. I was writing from uh, with a female main character, mm -hmm. and so it, it's something. Normally, I you know I'm a guy. I'm sorry. I write from the male point of view, but I wanted to do this, and so I I sent it to her, and I said, okay, you gotta have to let me know if I've got this dialed in right. You know, because I'm thinking I'm fine, which is usually gets me in trouble. So, so yeah. read this and, and let me know. And she she came back, had some great, great suggestions, great changes. Um, so I made those changes and the piece was accepted. So, mm -hmm. yeah, use that tool. Had I probably if I had sent it off without doing that, it probably would have been a rejection. 
possibly. I, I know. I, I would say I probably. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I was working with Jason on is his female point of view. Those were the harshest comments of mine. Like, no, 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 no. Females no, do no, not no. think like this. Talk to your wife. <laughs> based on the opinion. <laughs> yeah. Based on the feedback I got, that would not have flown if I had not made the changes. So, yep. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, it, it just yeah, definitely use every tool you can to make your story better. And then you will you will be fine at the end of the day if you do that. Yeah, my male point of views are usually run by my husband. And I've written in both, yeah, obviously. Mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> look at that. Joe is on fire with the questions today. Yes. All right, question for the group. <laughs> what has been the biggest benefit for you all as prolific authors in the process that all right, what's it? In the process that either feels incredibly comfortable handling or can put on autopilot. Hmm. Wow. Um, interesting one. Yeah, it's going to make me think, and that's usually dangerous. Um, Leave it to Joe to do all of the really loaded, hard-hitting questions. Yeah, yeah. Where's Jim when I need him? Um, I don't know. It's I don't know that I go on autopilot. I think if I ever got onto autopilot, I I don't know that I would be happy with the with what I produce. Results. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I'm more comfortable in the zone. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's completely different, though. When yeah. you're, you know, when you're when you're into the story and the words are flowing, you know, you're you're still doing. There's a lot of thought and 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 changes. I mean, for example, in reservations, there's one chapter that has a very dramatic ending to it, and yeah. I spent 16 hours nonstop writing just that one chapter. Um, and the entire, the reason why it took so long is, as I was getting closer to the end, I had to make a decision. Does mm -hmm. this character live or die? Mm -hmm. And I fought with myself for the entire process that day. You know, if I want, if I, if it's a yes, they have to die. Okay. We're going to do this. If it's a no, then we're going to do this. But does it, what does it do to the story? If this character is still there? Uh, what does it what does it do to them to the character who's going to continue on in this series? Can you still do what you want to do later? So there was all that was going on, which was slowing me down because I was still fighting that battle of do we do we do this or do we not? And I wasn't sure I made the right choice until my beta reader sent me an email after I sent him the chapter mm -hmm. and said he was chewing me out for bumping the character off. It was almost like I had killed a family member of his. He mm -hmm. was that mad at me. And then 10 seconds later is a follow-up email. By the way, right call, great job. Yep. So that's when I knew, okay, we, <laughs> we did, I got it right, but it was still, it's it's a tough process to go through. Oh yeah, it is. I, I, um, I'm more apt to do that than Katie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as far as, I mean, for the, the process has become incredibly comfortable for me overall. Mm -hmm. um, once you start getting this many books through, you know, you're, you've kind of got your routine set. You know how you're going to do things. Um, you know, I don't really outline, but I also don't just fly by the seat of my pants either. I have a pretty general basic, here's what we're going to do. And it changes as I'm going. You know, I think every writer that does it. Um, so I think the entire process is comfortable now. Um, but I, I don't know that I would say I'd go on autopilot. Yeah. I'm not sure. Marketing might, I think when I do my marketing, because I've got, you know, that's just basically go grab something I've already put together and put it out on social media. 
that's as close to autopilot as I think I get. Yeah, that's time consuming and tedious. It's not the fun stuff. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. That is that is I mean, very true. This morning, updating my website and you know making sure my ads are running the way I want them to, and that is like the the most tedious part of it. I'm like, I just want to write. Yeah. I have very little little time to write, and I don't want to spend it doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Except for when you procrastinate and do everything but writing, because you can't figure out what you're going to write next. Right, because I don't know, because I have the conundrum of, <laughs> am I going to kill people off or not? <laughs> that way, if, if you're up against a wall and you can't get past something, step back. You, you know, you're not, you don't have writer's block. You're just, you, you just haven't quite ironed out the, the wrinkle. That's when you go off and you do the, the marketing or, you know, find something else, get away from it. Don't fight it because that, I think that's what leads to writer's block eventually is people like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fight through this. I'm going to go. And you're not going anywhere. You're just digging a deeper and deeper hole, you know, stop digging, go away for a minute or, or a day. Uh, I've done that where it's just like, okay, this isn't, this isn't right today. Put it away, go do something else, come back tomorrow. And it usually works. Yeah. Not always, but usually. I've been in a dry spell since this coronavirus came along because I got, I don't know what happened to my brain. It's just sort of like the, the whole concept of it couldn't come in. Um, plus, I had just finished putting out a, a book and I usually have a little period of time, you know, the postmortem period of after publishing a book. Yeah. Uh, and I just never got back into it. I started something and this is the book I'm trying to write and I pushed it out three more months because it's not yeah. going to happen but before July because we're moving. Life likes to get in the way, you know, and I've had, I had stuff that was supposed to already be out that isn't. And I, I will blame most of it on the anthology series behind me over here because that's an 11 book monster that we we took on last year yeah. when the original publisher had to shut down and they had only had like five books of it out. So we're we're not only re-releasing the original five, we're, we're trying to get the next six out. So we got all that going. And just to show you how crazy I am, this is my board for what I'm going to get done between now and the end of the year. Okay. All right. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. So I have these little reminders sitting, staring me in the face every day. There will be no slacking today, sir. You've got all this to get done. So, yeah, I mean, I wish I had some downtime. I, I probably will have to take some in August because I, I think I'll have a little window where I can take about a week off and, and not have the, the whole thing catch on fire and burn down around me. So, um, yeah, but I think that's the key. That's is a key is just keep busy, keep trying to do something, you know, write a little bit here. Yeah, if it's not working, what's a paragraph? Just yeah, something down. And yeah. I've been starting to do that the last couple of days just to get a little down. Yeah, just so I don't feel so overwhelmed mm -hmm. and and pissed off at myself because. <laughs> You know, Katie knows I'm prolific. I, I get things done. Yeah. <laughs> I well, the, and, <laughs> and the really bad thing is when you're, you know, you've got this list. Okay, I'm going to get this done. And a new story idea pops in. And you're like, no, no, no. 
I don't have time for you. Go away. <laughs> they jot it down and you go, okay. And they never go away either. They just keep knocking on the door saying, hey, I'm over here. And you're like, the characters come alive in your head and they don't leave you alone. <laughs> no. Nope. Yep. It, it's, it's interesting sometimes, but. Katie, you look like you have something to say, and I keep nope. interrupting you. <laughs> no, I, I figured Go Indie now would be popping up with another question here. By, by now, he's been he's been popping them up pretty good. I'm still laughing at the fact that that Jane says she has a post mortem period, and and you know, for some authors that could be a month. For her, it's like two three hours, and then she's mm -hmm. ready to start the next story. <laughs> it's a little bit well. Okay, sometimes it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> If it's a series or standalones, it's a little bit longer. The end of the series and the standalones, that's when I do. They take a little bit longer. The but end of the series, series there's no postmortem. Well, the, <laughs> the thing that gets me is usually when I've, I've got a little, you know, I could take two days off type thing. That's usually when when somebody that I've worked with on an anthology before will email me and go, hey, we've got this anthology we're, we're getting ready to do, and we think you would be perfect for it. Here's the premise. And I'm like, no, no, no. Oh, I'm going to have to write one. Um, you know, um, I've got, I just finished uh, what, if it's accepted, will be my fifth Sherlock Holmes uh, short story. So that just went out. Um, and, and another friend of mine came up with a crazy anthology idea. Uh, it's, it's the working title is chicken anthology. It will be sci-fi fantasy stories, cent central theme chickens. Uh, and the backstory on that is in, in Pluto, which is the book I edited for the anthology series. Uh, she wrote a story and the, the opening line to it is the chicken had to die. I read that line and decided right then and there that story is coming into this anthology. Ooh. One line was all it took. And it, the rest of the story measured up. But um, so she, we've been kind of teasing her about chickens. So she came up with this chicken anthology. And for whatever reason, um, a, a Star Wars parody uh, popped into my head. So it's part Star Wars, part Looney Tunes, part... Um, Grimm's fairy tales, I guess, maybe. It sounds brilliant. Sounds <laughs> like a fun story. Off, off it went. The the working title is Barn Barn Wars: The Rise of Brewster Mother Clucker. There you go. <laughs> and so so people are going to read that and they're going to think I've lost it, and I probably have. Just just after you get done reading that one, you'll you'll just completely think I'm insane. Remember, there, there are no bad ideas. It's Sharknado. Not that. That's the go-to comparison when someone's like, I don't think this is a great idea. Look, Sharknado. Yeah, yeah. Sharknado, Sharknado is still below mine, so we're okay. You know, that's like grasping for straws. Come on. <laughs> But it goes further, though, to prove that there is a book for everyone and there is a reader for every book. So that is true. It's got yeah, to find true. your audience. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't want to know what the guy drunk the night before he had that idea for Sharknado, but it, it was pretty hard stuff. <laughs> so what kind of nightmares it was. Yeah, it's, you know. It's it's funny how some of the the ideas pop into your head, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Escaping Infinity popped into my head while I was listening to the Eagles Hotel California. 
Nice. Because I got to thinking, why would it, why would you not be able to get out of a hotel? I mean, the place is full of exits. What would keep you in a hotel? And, you know, 15 years later, the book comes out and because I finally figured out what would keep you in a hotel um, <laughs> with, with my own, you know, weird little twist that I do on these. Yeah, know. exactly. The six sequels of Spawn. Yeah, I know. And then there's the Tiger King. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I'm not no. watching it. I, really I, I, I can safely say I have not watched a single Sharknado movie. And if I go to my grave that way, I will be happy. <laughs> I actually did watch one. Oh, no, no. <laughs> it was on. There was nothing else on. It was in the background while I was writing. <laughs> it really can't, though, when it's in the background because you're not really paying attention to it. Yeah, but you have to look up and then watch it and go, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to figure out, why did they come up with it? <laughs> so, so the sharks are in the tornado and they come out and bite you and go back in the tornado. Yeah. Sure, plausible. <laughs> I I've seen that many times. Um, yes. no. Nope. I won't. Yeah. Nope. We, we have yeah. we have we have devolved to Sharknado comments. This is not good. All right, all right. We'll, we'll rein it back in. Rein it back in. So, when you're writing, then what do you leave on in the background to help set the mood while you're writing? Ooh, um, that, it, it really depends on what I'm writing. If I'm doing. Uh, sci-fi and fantasy, uh, for example, When the God Spell, which is behind my head, um, I I took the soundtrack to Oblivion, which was Tom Cruise sci-fi film, because that had a lot of music that kind of fit with what I was doing. So I had that kind of going in the background. Um, if I'm doing a mystery thriller, oddly enough, I put on Witness for the Prosecution, which is a very old film. I don't know how many people have even seen this thing. It's black and white, um, has Marlene Dietrich in it, and I'm forgetting uh, some of the others, but it's a very old film, but it gets me in that mystery, you know, law and order, who did it uh, mindset. So I, I would play, I played that one so many times I can quote the script for you. You know, just tell me what part, what, what minute are you at? And I'll tell you what's coming the next two minutes, you know. Um, so it, it kind of depends on what I'm working on. Um, I, for escaping infinity, there was, it was, it was kind of hatched because of hotel California, but I had a Japanese, um, new age group from the eighties that produced about three albums that I, I really love. Uh, it's all synthesized music. There's no lyrics. And so I had that going, you know, I just start a new disc and just keep writing. So it really, I, I tend to match what I'm writing with what I'm going to listen to in the background. And it, it just kind of helps. It, it helps keep you kind of focused on what you're doing. What about you, Katie? I was waiting for you, Jane. Yeah, we're waiting on you. <laughs> you're the one who brought up Sharknado. We want to hear what craziness is coming now. <laughs> I listen to 70s and 80s rock. Nice. <laughs> those were those were my you know growing up years. You know the Eagles, Boys, Blue Oyster Cult. You know, and then I get into the more um, more recent bands. But yeah, I like upbeat. Just you know, yeah. Yeah, you don't want And my kids are watching it. You know, when I was, when they were younger, it was, I'd tune out their, you know, bickering just to write. 
because I have a seat right in the middle of the family room. I don't have an office or anything like that. So, yeah, I did a I did a short story for the anthology that's coming out Monday. It's called uh, it's called Space Force, and it was uh, a friend of mine wanted to do this anthology uh, and have it be speculative fiction, military science fiction. But he didn't know how to do the publishing process. And I'm like, okay, I'll drop down here and I'll, I'll help you do it. And I had no intentions whatsoever of, of writing a story for it until about two months into the process when a story hit, because I've never done military sci-fi. I haven't even, I don't think I've read, but maybe one or two military sci-fi stories. So okay. I had the idea and I think I put on, um, it wasn't Starship Troopers. It was it was some uh, military type science fiction thing going on in the background, and I wrote the story, and he he liked it enough to to include it. Um, but it, it's it's kind of strange how I've I've kind of branched out over the years. You know, when I first started, I wanted to do the mystery thrillers or science fiction, and that was pretty much it. And as things have kind of progressed and I, these opportunities have come along, I, I've lost track of what all the different types. I've done uh, urban fantasy and the, the old, old style mysteries and, uh, you know, the, the two horror um, anthologies that I've done, which I, I don't like horror films, so I don't know where those came from. But, you know, so to, to you kind of, I would, I would go and find different films or, or different music and, and kind of try to help get me, you know, dialed into that. So it's, it's important to do that. Um, especially if you're like me and you're crazy enough, you'll just dive into anything. I mean, I did a chicken anthology for crying out loud. You know? <laughs> um, so apparently I have no shame. I'll do anything. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's been, it's been fun to do those. And it's one thing I would, suggest to authors is don't get stuck in this one little area because it's your comfort zone, you know, branch out there and try something, whether it sells or not, at least you've tried it. And at the same time, you may learn some things doing it that you apply to your other stories that make them a little bit better. Hmm, Cause now, cause my first book Maelstrom, I was trying to develop the, you know, the, the, the romantic relationship between the, the male and the female lead character. It, it was basically the equivalent of a caveman walking up. Oh, pretty lady, conk, go to cave. You know, that was pretty much <laughs> that. Now it's a little bit more sophisticated and you can actually go, okay, you took your time and you developed the relationship like you should have. Mm -hmm. So that's something I probably wouldn't have developed as much if I hadn't branched out and done the, all these other things and, and read some of the other works by the other writers and picked up some things on how they do. Yeah, how do you do this? How do you how did you develop that and then apply it to what I'm doing? So, you know, that, that would be one thing I, I wanted to kind of mention tonight is don't get stuck in one little pigeonhole because the gatekeepers have told you that this is how it shall be. Because it's not yeah. it's I'm not, not I'm not a single genre person either. I you know, I've done horror, I've done erotica, I've done romance, I've done paranormal romance, I've done suspense, I've done yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I run the gamut and, and I have, I haven't started it, but I've got all the notes for it. A uh, World War II romance. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's based on my grandparents. Okay. So I have that story and I'm like, okay, I have the cover. <laughs> Shocking, right? 
<laughs> but <laughs> so and this is why you only take about two hours between finishing a book and starting your next one. <laughs> yeah. I have Donkey Cup. The, the, uh, okay, our, our chat room over there is getting. Should, should we post I, something? Yes. I, I think I think I have I think I have steered them into an area I should never have gone. Or you know, with this crowd, it's easy to do. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> you know, you kind of, I have it off to the side, and I'm trying not to look at it. I think we we start back way back here with forget oh, about tornado. Yeah. How about the six sequels? Yeah. <laughs> Government responding to hurricanes. Yeah, I I, th I thought I saw one. Yeah, the Fast and Furious one. Yeah. There is no explanation of anything that involves Michael Bay. Right. There you go. That's that's it in a nutshell. It's Michael Bay. Move on. It's J.J. Like Abrams, <laughs> who, is, who is on my my hit list for what he's done to Star Trek and Star Wars. That's a, that's a two hour show right there. Um, yeah. We would have gone there no matter. What. Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Go, go, guys, go, right? Uh, Don't get caught with your hand in the chicken. All right. That was the one that caught my attention. Like, <laughs> yep, yep. Okay. I don't want to know. Like I said, with this group, it's real easy to send them off track. In fact, that's kind of what they look for in our shows. If we there, don't there you go. Track, there, find a way. That last one. There you go. Thumbs up on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm the charter member of the We Hate JJ Club. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's. Going back to where you you were talking, how you have maybe two hours between projects. It one of the things that that has happened since going indie is that it seems like I am really super busy, and mm -hmm. sometimes it's with things I'm writing. Um, sometimes it's you know, for example, the the planetary series um, when we first took it over because the when the first publisher had to close down, it was insane because we were trying to get. The, the original five manuscripts in and then convert them over to what, how we do things, um, waiting for Amazon to clear so that we could republish them without the, you know, mm -hmm. the knockdown drag outs. Mm -hmm. um, my, my anthology, which was supposed to be one of the originals that the other one published um, was the first one we actually did because it was ready. So it was, it was getting those ready. And then we weren't going to use the original covers that the original publisher used because I didn't like them. So we, we want, and we wanted to have our own kind of stamp on it. So um, we had to do that. We had to go get the cover. We had to come up with a theme. We wanted a, a theme that had the, the God that the series is based on and the planet that is named after the, the associated God. Mm -hmm. And you would think that would be really easy to go out and find the elements to put together. And it's not, um, I will, I will, test to that, but somehow I think we managed to come up with a really nice overall theme. Uh, so we had to get all that together. And it, for since December, it has been nonstop crazy. And I think just recently it's gotten to where Jim and I both can go <sighs> and take a breath. Uh, we've, we've caught up with everything. Um, and, it, you know, saying all that, I would not have changed the decision to take it on because it is, it's been a great series. We, we're going to wind up with 90 authors writing 180 stories. That's awesome. And we have got to meet authors that I would never have met and read. And some of the stories are just, they'll just blow you right, uh, you know, right out of your chair. Um, so it's been, it's been great to do that. Um, at the same time, it's taken away from the writing time, but I, I that's a trade I'll make. 
Um, so it'd be nice to get back to just just being a writer again once we've we've got that all wrapped up. Agree. Yeah, that is the problem with doing indie is is you've always got another project, always something mm -hmm. coming down the pipe, and I, I actually have my schedule worked out to 2024. Wow, what I'm going to write. And I, I've lost, I, I don't remember the number, but it was, um, it, I think it was going to average six books a year. If I can hold to it, wow. we'll see. So with yeah. your schedule, like what is your, your like daily writing goal or weekly writing goal so that you can hit those targets? You know, the way I write, I don't really set a target number. Um, I tried to do that. And then I find I'm looking down at the bottom of the screen. Am I close? Am I close? And it, <laughs> and it blows, you know, I, I throws me off track and I can't get back on. So I just said, okay, we're, we're not going to do that. I've got a piece of tape where that will pop up on my writing screen. There will be no distractions. And I just kind of go as, as long as it feels like everything's flowing. Um, you know, obviously there's other things going on, on in life. And so, you know, I got to go do this or I got to go do that. But, um, what, what I have done is I've set a target date. You know, uh, the, the book I'm working on now is actually a second edition of one of the sports books I wrote. And it's just updating the last five years. So we have the first 100 years of this um, of high school football in this one town. So all I've got to do is just go on next week, add the stats, which I've been keeping track of in the five years since the book originally came out, do some write-ups on those five years, and that project's done probably by the end of the month. Then I've got the entire month of June set aside for a book I actually started on and had to stop when we took on the Planetary Series. So I can go back to it. And by the end of June, I want to get it. The first you know, first draft done and off to the editor by the end of June. So obviously, while the editor is working on Project A, I pick up Project B and get started on it. So if I do it right... Uh, every two months, I should have a book coming out between now and 2024. After that, I haven't decided because that'll mark 40 years of doing writing in some form and making a living as a writer in some form. And I'm debating, do I go on? You know, will I have story ideas that I can continue writing? You know, I don't want to be one of these. I'm just throwing out crap just to say I've still got something going out. I want it to be something that when I'm done with it and it's out there, I can take a lot of pride in. So these projects, I know I'm good. We'll see what kind of percolates over the next four years. You know, maybe I'll go on beyond 2024. I don't know. That's a good way to look at it. Having the target dates, yeah. although life gets in the way. So you have a target date coming up and you're further behind than you'd like to be. Are you scrambling towards the end or are you looking for ways to extend those? Are they flexible dates? If, if I have to extend, I do, and I've done it, you know, obviously had to with the series. Um, but I think I've kind of got things in order enough now that I don't, I'm not going to have to extend it. If, if I get into a situation where I'm getting delayed, I, I know how I can write and I know I can just shut the door, turn off the world and, and buckle down and get, and get to it. So and again, I hearken that back to my newspaper days because there were some days where I would go out and cover two different games, come back and write the game stories, 
do the box scores, take calls for other games that we didn't have a reporter at. And oh, by the way, also write a feature story for next week's whatever, you know. So I have that that experience of, okay, you got to sit down and you've got to crank it out. So get to work. And I can I can do that when I need to. I don't like doing it because I'd like to kind of go at a little bit slower pace. But if I get in a jam like that, yeah, I'll just I, I so far I found that other gear. The day I don't find that gear is probably when I go, OK, it's time to time to shut it down. But we'll see. That, that 11th hour is always the worst. Oh, yeah, they're fun. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are absolutely fun. The, the reason why I hedge is um, back in 2010 when I, I quit newspapers, I wasn't sure what I was going to do right off the bat. I just was tired of going out till two in the morning working on newspaper stuff. <clears throat> I came across this book in a bookstore called Time Travelers Never Die by Jack McDevitt and sitting right over there on my bookshelf. And I loved that book. And so I, I went and back and I was going to you know, buy whatever I could find by this guy because he's a great writer. And I happened to look at his bio on the blurb. And it dawned on me, he had been in three different careers, had retired from two of them. And at the same ages that I was making my, my changes, he was the same age at that time that I was then. And that's when he started writing his books at the age of, I think he was trying to do the math. I had 46 when he started writing books and I was 46 then. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, when I first started writing, I wanted to do fiction. Um, I don't know if you can see it or not. There's a little, this guy right here. This is uh, a comic book series from 1986 called Sea Dragon. I was the lead lead author on get him up there a little bit better okay yeah um and i wanted to do fiction from the beginning here's this guy who's able to have two careers and retire from and now he's starting a third and it's it's writing what is stopping you and and i talked to my wife about it um and and we decided okay this is worth trying for and i off i went um it's it's strange because I credit him with giving me the, the little kick in the butt to do it. He and I have, have been talking back and forth several times. Uh, he, we were in a Sherlock Holmes anthology together a, a couple of years back, about four years ago. And to me, that's that's my favorite book on my bookshelf with my name on it, is that anthology, because I'm, I'm the story that leads into his story in that anthology. And it's kind of like, you know, being the warm-up band for the Stones, you know, I, I got to, I got to warm up the crowds for Jack to come in, um, and so he he and I have kind of become friends. We haven't met in person yet because neither one of us like traveling, so we we tend to not you know anything above five miles. We're not going to do it, but um, I I credit him a lot for kind of inspiring me to go ahead and, and do this again. So um, I, I figure. He's still writing. He's got a, another book coming out later this year, I think, or early next year. And he's a good 20, 20 year, 25 years older than I am. So I may get to 2024 and go, yeah, I'm going to see if I can catch Jack first. Let me see if I can catch him and pass him. And maybe I'll do that. You know, it just kind of depends on how, how long the, the story ideas keep coming. Yeah, I'm not going to stop writing. Stop when the well dries up. Yeah. Oh, I don't I, think I, I would stop. I'll, I'll, I'll stop writing. Actually, I'll, I'll stop my day job in the next, you know, five years, maybe. <laughs> um, but but I will not stop writing because, yeah. you know, that'll be my, I don't like tooling around in the garden. I don't like, you know, 
any any gardening work outside. I'm just not that kind of girl. What? So what you're saying is you like to kill people. You just don't like to get your hands dirty. Exactly. You know, the, the one thing I could do too is on my blog, yeah, I do a week. Not garden cans, but they're not, <laughs> they're, they're not polished either. On, on my blog, I do a 1K weekly serial series. So if I did quit writing the big books and, and you know, writing for, for say, for, I don't want to say profit, writing books to be sold. If I did quit, I would probably keep doing that and just put it on my blog. You know, mm -hmm. you're still writing, you're still sharing. Yeah, yeah that, and that may be where that may be the option I take when 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 we hit 2024. We'll see. I, I just I, I I laugh about it, but um, I say if I ever get senile, I won't know who I am because I've lived so many different lives in my books. Yeah. So <laughs> is you could become one of the characters in your book. Oh, really? And you become a character. I have, I have a theory that every author puts a little bit of himself or herself mm -hmm. into in, definitely into their main characters, yes. but also into some of the other little little characters, little little yes. things that we do that we you know we're aware of that there are little little Nuances. weird things. Yeah, <laughs> you know um, how much of it goes in. You know, it depends from character to character. Um, you know, I'm not going to fess up how much of me is in mind because that might worry people. But I, I think it's, it, it helps make a better character if you put a little bit of yourself in or a little bit of something you've seen from somebody else. You kind of mix it in there a little bit and see what happens. Yeah, or I, you write a character that you wish you could be. I love it when my coworkers at, at the insurance company I work at find out I write and they pick up my books and then they're terrified of me. <laughs> it's like, yes. This nice little sweet girl can write that awful, awful stuff. Yep. Here's the bejesus out of them. The, the second time I was on Jim Christina's show, it was right after Escape Infinity came out, and they were going to talk about it. So so Jim introduces me, and he goes, okay, my first question is, what were you smoking when you wrote this book? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, man. This is, this is me right there. There you go. Well, that I, is a common question. What were you smoking or what were you drinking when you did Escaping Infinity? I was, like, I was stone cold sober, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to see the inside of an author's mind. No, it's it's messy. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. All right, well, we are actually at our hour. That was a fast hour. Wow. Fast hour. <laughs> right? Right? Well, this is what happens. We get in a good conversation. But before we go, I want to give Richard a chance to plug anything new. I know appearances aren't happening this year, but if you've got anything yeah. out you want to talk about real quick before we go. Sure. Uh, on Monday morning, uh, the 25th on Memorial Day, there is an anthology coming out that um, it's, it's called Space Force Building the Legacy. It is military sci-fi and it's speculative and it just it look it's 11 authors looking at the first 100 years of the United States Space Force. We have um, we have people who have been in the Space Command, the US Air Force Space Command, who have written some stories. So it's, it's really a neat little anthology. So if you're looking for something like that, uh, that comes out Monday. The next day, uh, the fifth book for us, 
planetary anthology series Venus comes out. Uh, there are, if you if you know John C. Wright as a fantasy author, he's in there. Uh, his wife, Jaji Lamplighter, is in there as well. And there's some, some great authors in that uh, book as well. I'm not in that one, so I'm not plugging me. Uh, but if you if you really are into science fiction and fantasy short stories, that one comes out Tuesday. And, and then the rest of the series will be coming out every six weeks between now and next February. So I, if you really like those kind of stories, uh, check them out. Where can we find those stories at? You can go to TuscanyBayBooks.com. Um, we have a books page that lists everything. There's actually a page that's devoted strictly to the Planetary Anthology series. So you can go there and all the book links are there. You can go to Amazon and they are all linked on one link. So you can call them up on, on one page. The ones that are out, you can purchase. The ones that have not come out yet, you can pre-order all the way up to the last one next February. So uh, if, if science fiction is your thing, there you go. Uh, or you can check my website because I'm constantly yammering on about those things at scribe.com. Awesome. And I will put those links in the show notes for those of you who are watching on our YouTube channel. So after the show's done, give me about 10 minutes and the notes should be up there with all the links we've talked about. Until then, uh, thank you, Richard, for hanging out with us and chatting thank with you. us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's been, it's been fun. You're welcome back anytime. Just let us know when you want to come visit again. Okay. Well, yeah, the, one thing Jim points out is I do love talking about myself. So there we go. <laughs> That's what we love doing. So, yes, welcome back. And hopefully Jim is feeling better soon and can yeah. come back and join us. So, Jim, send in the love out. We miss you. And I guess this is it for us this week. We'll be back next week. So stay tuned. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. And we will see you then, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.